Open your Bibles, if you will, to Psalms 100. Pastor Phil is still struggling with a virus. We've encouraged him to stay in bed. If I could nail him to his bed, I would. Um, <clears throat> you know, a perpetual motion. And if you see him show up this morning, as you leave and he comes, guide him out to his car, put him in his car, tell him he needs to go to bed. If we keep him down long enough, maybe he'll heal. Uh, I want to just uh, also remind you about tonight. This is our second Sunday, and this is the opportunity we have to come together, celebrate uh, communion. Uh, I think that 2,000 years has shown us that we regularly need to remember that Christ died for us, that we go out into a culture that is a godless culture, and we can easily, by Thursday, forget all that God has done in our life. And so I just encourage you to be involved with us. Some churches celebrate communion every Sunday. We celebrate it once a month, actually twice a month, the third uh, Sunday morning and uh, the second Sunday evening. And so I just encourage you to come. We have the privilege of hearing uh, one of our elders, Larry Howard, uh, deliver what's on his heart, the gospel from Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. And so I trust that you'll be here to support him and encourage him as he tells us what God has brought to him on his heart. Well, Psalms 100 says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good. His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Probably at the top of this psalm in your Bible are the words, a psalm for giving thanks. It's the only psalm so labeled in the Bible. Bible scholars tell us that this psalm was used in the temple to begin all of the services of sacrifice. They would read this psalm and then they would stop and they would praise God. History tells us that this psalm was read in, in temples all throughout Europe uh, for a thousand years. It is, the, uh, it is the psalm of giving thanks. And it doesn't necessarily give us the formula of giving thanks, but reminds us that what thankful people look like are all based upon who God is. And so the, the psalmist, and we don't know who the psalmist is, comes to us with this message that we need to be a thankful people, and thankful people worship God in a particular way, and they see life from a different perspective. I thought that after we've gone through the last year and a half, we need a word from God. Uh, we've lost homes and jobs, and uh, we've wondered where God was in the mix, and um, I thought this might be a good opportunity to be reminded that God has never failed us, he's never left us, that our circumstances can belie that fact, but it's a reality, and that the psalmist helps us understand from this text who God is and how we as a thankful people can come to him. I, I asked the question in my own mind as I began looking at this text, and I've asked it many times before, why is it so hard to be thankful? Why is it so difficult uh, to, um, to give thanks? Why is it when... Uh, we do something wrong, we'll have 15 critics 
but if we do something well, no one will mention it. Huh? Why is that the case? Uh, I, I, I get a kick out of uh, Deborah, our worship team. Deborah hears from um, one of you frequently, not the same one, uh, about the music's either too loud, too old, too modern, too fast, too slow. Um, she rarely gets a note saying, I praise God for the way you bring us before God in worship every Sunday. Why? It's our nature. We, we just are not good at giving thanks. Jesus healed 10 lepers. Only one came back and thanked him. That, that may be the statistics. Only 10% catch it. I think there are some tangible reasons why we have a difficult time um, giving thanks. I, I don't pretend to list them all because they're just too numerous, but I can think of five that really get in the way um, of our daily life in such, in such a fashion that we forget to give thanks. The, the first is that we're flawed. We're a sinful humanity. We're a people that um, are still throwing off all of the aftermath of Adam's choice and our uh, duplicity or complicity in it. Uh, sometimes uh, we can't even see the good thing. I, I think of uh, what Jeremiah said as Jeremiah is writing to a people who are in captivity and they're asking the same question, you know, what is going on? Here, we are your people and we're now in Babylonian captivity and how on earth can we expect it to be thankful? And so the book of Jeremiah brings to them a message about uh, salvation, a message of hope, a message of encouragement. And in the 17th chapter of, of Jeremiah, he, he points out something that is really phenomenal. He contrasts the man who trusts in God against the man who does not trust in God. And he says this in chapter 17, verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends upon flesh for his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. You know, this is the uh, description of the American dream. We're all self-made, independent people. We, we did it by ourselves with hard work. We value hard work. And so um, maybe this can be written to us. This man, it says, will be like the bush in the wastelands. Catch this phrase. He will not see prosperity when it comes. It doesn't say he won't be prosperous. It says when prosperity comes, he won't get it. He won't see it. I don't know if you've discovered that in your life, that when you look back, you saw moments you missed of God's great blessing, and you missed them because you were so involved in self, so involved in the things about you. So our, our flawed and sinful humanity bring us into a wasteland, and it's very hard to be thankful when we're we're preoccupied with trying to accomplish things on our own merit. He, he goes on to point out, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He'll be like the tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought. There will be droughts, but this man, because he trusts in God, doesn't worry about the drought. And he never fails to bear fruit. He doesn't stop bearing fruit. 
And, and so uh, the contrast is the man who trusts in God and the man who doesn't trust in God. And our whole discovery of why we are not thankful starts right there. It's a, it's a huge issue. I, I think the second area that we wrestle with is the area of expectations. In uh, our first book, uh, Redeeming Relationships, um, we wrote a whole chapter on the issue of expectations because I believe um, expectations mold our relationships in ways we don't even understand. Many of us are dissatisfied in our relationships, not because the relationship is really not going well, but because it's not going where we expect it to go. And, and we have all of these unrealistic expectations. And it kind of works, you know, if a relationship is based on expectations, it, it kind of works this way. Um, in order for you to be normal in my relationship with you, you've got to figure out everything I have on my list of expectations in the order that they're listed, and you need to do them in that order without asking me what they are because you should figure it out, right? And when you've done them all in, in order, you'll hear from me, thank you, and um, you'll perceive that all I think of you is that you've just done what I expected. I'm not truly thankful. For you to be a super person in my relationship, you have, to do, um, you have to guess all the things on my list. You have to do them in order, in the order that they're listed. You have to do them before I remind you they have to be done. And then before I add the next thing to the list, you have to do it. Is that not impossible? But some of us live life that way in relationships, even with the Lord. See, that's what, that was one of Job's big problems when Job, when something happens to Job, it, it jarred his expectation. This was his expectation. Bad things happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people. I'm a good person, why is this happening? You follow what I'm saying? And so Job will say to the Lord, does it please you to oppress me, to spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the schemes of the wicked? He's ticked. He goes on to say, your hands shaped me and made me. Will you now turn and destroy me? What's Job's problem? Job's problem is that things are not going the way Job thinks they should go. I know you've never been there. Okay, I, I just know. I know this is theory right now. But trust me, if it's never happened to you, it will. And you'll say, what on earth is going on? It's uh, that whole thing of expectations. We expect good things from God. And after all, we're his children. Isn't he supposed to give us good things? Isn't he supposed to do good things for us? So when suffering comes, we're caught off guard. And there's really two groups in, in the suffering camp. There's the group that says, who's been out of fellowship, and they say, oh, we understand God's punishing us. <laughs> so that we understand this, God, God's spanking me, Right? And then there's the other group that knows that God's not spanking them, but they're trying to figure out what on earth is happening in this test. And we pray, we pray, God, remove it from me. And God says, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he'll give us a way of escape so that we can bear up under it. I hate that verse. Because God says that in the time of suffering, when things don't go according to our expectation, God's not going to remove it from us. He's going to keep us under it, but he'll give us the ability to stay under it. 
So the whole issue of expectations, it's huge. It's huge. There, there's a third reason that uh, we may struggle um, in, in being thankful, and, and that is our perceptions are flawed. We, we have incredibly flawed perceptions. It, it's really interesting how inaccurate our perceptions can be, it, how we can draw conclusions from just a, what they call a thin slice, just a quick glimpse, and miss the whole picture. Now, it is also amazing how accurate we can be. And that accuracy for the believer only comes through the Word of God. We, we need to see things from God's perspective. There's a great example in history. I've shared it with you once before, in the invasion of Normandy. You know, the, the invasion of Normandy was really quite a, 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 a gutsy move on the part of the Allied forces. Uh, they invaded on a, uh, on a French beach uh, to turn the war. They weren't sure it was going to happen. And uh, thousands of soldiers uh, died in the process. Uh, many uh, drowned. They, they carried 80 pounds of equipment. And some of the landing crafts stopped when the, they hit the, sa the sand. They thought they were close enough to the beach, but they were in eight feet of water. And so many of the soldiers dived into water with 80 pounds of gear on you. You're just going to sink like a rock and they drowned. Many others were killed on the beach. And so um, at the uh, anniversary, some years ago, they interviewed a lot of the soldiers who were actually involved in the battle. And they interviewed the soldiers coming off the landing craft, and they said, what, what, what did you think when you hit the beach? You saw everyone being killed. And every person to the man said, we thought, we've lost the war. The war's done. But they interviewed uh, last a, a man who was flying over the battle scene for the, the generals and relaying back what he was seeing so that they could make troop movements. And he relayed back, we've won the war. Isn't that interesting? It's all about perspective. What is your perspective in living life? God says, let me, let me give you a perspective. And when you abandon my perspective, you're going to lose it. Any perspective apart from God's perspective is the wrong perspective. And sometimes what we need to do is be back together. We need to be back in his word. We need to be um, reminded that, you know what, God's not ever been defeated. I, I tell this story because you'll understand it. It's, I'm a Raider fan. I don't say that loudly today. When I first came here, we had a, a guy in the church who was, who'd been a, a linebacker for the 49ers for 12 years. And the first Sunday I was here, I used a Raider story. And he came up, and he was very large. And he reminded me that this was a 49er church, and we didn't talk about Raiders. <laughs> so I couldn't mention Raiders for um, eight years until he finally left. <laughs> the, the whole... Um, the whole perception issue is huge um, when you can't see the final program. When I lived in, in Salem, um, we wouldn't get Raider games unless they played the Seahawks because, you know, Seahawk territory. So people would send me videos of the game. By the time I got the video, I already knew who won. You, you know what I'm saying? I like those games better, actually. If I knew the Raiders won, then when they did all the stupid things they do, like fumble the ball on the, on the, 
on the goal line, and you know they do all the stupid things they do. If I know they've already won, then I don't care what they do. You follow what I'm saying, right? I'm just telling you that's the way God wants us to kind of live life. You you know what? You, this may surprise you, but we've already won. I've read the book, huh? That I, I, the book I read said God's never been defeated. He will never be defeated. His whole redemptive plan is through the work of Jesus Christ at Calvary, and, and if you believe that Christ died for your sins, you can become a child of God, and there is nothing that can harm you, that, nothing that can, can surprise God, that can catch him off guard. No bad circumstances happened in the last uh, 10 years to us, caught God off guard. He wasn't in the heavens saying, oh boy, I didn't anticipate this. Okay? It is really um, all about perception. You've got to see it from God's perspective. A hundred years from now, I'm pretty safe in saying this, a hundred years from now, we'll all be with the Lord. We'll, we'll all be, we won't be here. Okay? And a hundred years from now, you will get it. What God wants you to do is get it now. You see, a hundred years from now, we're going to say, oh, man, why didn't I get that? Why didn't I live in light of that fact? God says, look, and I've given you my word. I want you to live in light of that fact now. Perceptions. It's all about perceptions. It's also about um, unbelief. Unbelief. I, I've struggled with unbelief my whole life, and, and it goes kind of like this. I know that God has created the heavens and the earth. I know that Christ died for my sins. I know that he rose from the dead. I know that he has given me victory in Christ. I know that he has linked me with you inalterably. Before we were not a people, now we're a people of God. I know all of those things. What happens Monday morning when I open my checkbook is I'm not sure he cares. Huh? See, I can trust God for the huge things. It's the small daily things I have a hard time with. Will he help me balance my checkbook? Will he get me that job? Will he bless my efforts as I look for a job? Will he... Will he save my kids? Will he? All of these things. And so what happens is the enemy wants to convince us that there's no reason to trust God in these areas. Oh, you can trust him for the big things, but he is indifferent for the small things. He really doesn't care about the small little things, and yet the Word of God says he's with us all of the time, 24-7. We're never apart from God. We're never apart from his character, his love, his guidance in our life. Unbelief. Nathan said this, in, 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 the, in, in the Old Testament, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust him. Pretty simple, isn't it? He cares for those who trust him. And then sometimes we're, um, sometimes we're beset with entitlement. This is an American problem. We, we kind of think we're entitled. You know, if you think about it, none of us have experienced the enemy on our shores. I, I, was, uh, I was in a home in Vienna, and the, the owner of the home uh, shared with me all the times that the armies went through Vienna. And as a child, he remembered the German army going through Vienna. Uh, we were in Bangladesh, and we sat with John Sirkar, and he reminded us of the time that the Pakistani, you remember Bangladesh used to be East Pakistan, and there used to be a West Pakistan. And in the 70s, I think it was 72, they had a war, and Bangladesh became a country. And John remembers the tanks in the street and, and all of those things. We've really, never, we've really never experienced that. As a country in America, we believe we're entitled to God's blessing. 
we really believe that we're one nation under God, then he is uh, obligated to bless us. And so we have this strong sense of entitlement. I found this really interesting story some time ago. In 1883, um, the people in New England woke up to no sun. The, the sun didn't rise that morning. It was an eerie darkness. They went outside to do their chores in stony silence. No rooster crowed, no birds chirping, none of the usual sounds of a new day. At the very start, people began gathering together in small groups, questioning what was happening, discussing it, wondering. Slowly, people began to make their way to churches. True story. They say that by 12 noon, every church in New England was filled to overflowing with people on their knees crying out to God. There were cries for mercy. mercy. People were praying for forgiveness. Others confessing their sins. They say that there were a few people who didn't pray um, the day the sun didn't rise, but they were in a distinct minority. The churches began um, to be filled all day, and uh, as the next morning began to come, they all went out and watched to see if the sun would come up. And as they watched, they, they saw the sun um, begin to show itself, and the people began to yell and praise God. They clapped, danced, rejoiced, because the sun had shined on the land again, as if in one voice they began to praise the Lord. They had no idea that on an island in Indonesia, a volcano, Krakatoa, had come to life and had uh, blown um, about 2,700 feet of the mountain into the air and that it surrounded the globe and cut out all of the light for that part of North America. See, it's really interesting. It took the lack of the light for them to understand the reality of God in their life. I think sometimes we're like that. We, we feel entitled until we lose it, and all of a sudden we realize we were never entitled. Do you know that God doesn't owe us anything? He, he doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't have to be good. He's good because he's good. He's good because he's a good God. There, there is no, you will never be able to stand before the Lord and say, okay, now I'm, I'm, I'm upset because you broke your contract with me. God has never broken a contract. But he, he can be good on those he wants to be good on and, and not good on those he doesn't want to be good on. And, and we have no right to be entitled. Even as his children, we have no right to feel a sense of entitlement. We should be humbled by the fact that God chose us. I, as a child, could never figure out why God chose to save me. I went to school with a whole bunch of people that didn't care about God. And it used to amaze me as a kid, why did God choose me? Why did he put me where he put me? I don't know. I may never know. I don't think it was because I, what I thought as a kid, I was so good. Uh, my parents would argue with that. Uh, that I was a great guy. That I was immensely talented. That I had all of those things because I've discovered I don't have any of those things and yet God still chose me. What is that all about? It's about feeling entitled. Sometimes when we forget, we uh, pay the price we become unthankful. We need to be reminded that the Bible teaches us that thankfulness is a choice. It's a choice that we make. Paul writes to the church at Philippi and he gives a great little prescription for handling anxiety in our lives. And it starts out with this phrase, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. What's the key? The key there is in the Lord. We have no reason to have joy apart from the Lord. But in the worst circumstance, we can find in the Lord our joy. 
That doesn't mean that we're happy all the time. It doesn't mean that we're filled with elation all the time. It means that whenever we contemplate who God is, there's a sense of peace and joy that floods our, our body. It, it is beyond understanding, he says, in that passage in Philippians chapter 4. And so we need to understand that uh, being thankful is a choice. It's a choice we make. We either choose to be thankful or we choose not to be thankful. And that's the whole backdrop of the 100th Psalm. The psalmist understands that we have a choice to make and he's urging us to make the right choice and that right choice will be evidenced in the way we worship him and the way we act. Um, I, I don't like these phrases, but as I read scripture, I understand that I'm to be thankful for all things. I don't like that. It, it gets even worse. I'm to be thankful in all things. Have you ever had a, a bad day? Have you ever had something catastrophic happen? And you're sitting there and you say, okay, I'm going to do it. I don't want to do it. I'm going to do it. But thank you, Lord. I know that you're working your will in my life in such a way that right now I don't understand it. But I know that you know. Why? Because God is working all things together for those who love him. So why? that he can mold us into the image of his son. He wants us to look like Jesus. And he's using all the things, good and bad, in our life to bring us together. And we should thank him for that. Do you remember I preached a, a sermon on James 1, and we talked about being chosen to the team. And one of the things we forget, that when bad things happen to us, God is growing us up. God's not doing that with anyone other than his children. And we should be thankful for that very fact. Um... We should understand that thanking him is an act of pleasing him. Look, look at Colossians chapter 1. I love, this, uh, I love this, um, this prayer that Paul prays. He's writing to the church at Colossae, and um, he's getting ready to discuss the supremacy of Christ. He's getting ready to talk about um, how we ought to live together in the church. And he, he stops for a moment talking about the fact that he's been praying for them constantly. In verse 9 of chapter 1, he says this, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you. That word fill is the same word that's talking, that talks about being filled with the Spirit, to be controlled with, that we're asking God to control you with the knowledge, that's an intimate knowledge, of his will, through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, why do we pray this, he says? We pray this in order that you might live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. And now he's going to list the ways, the four ways that represent a pleasing life. Um, the, fr the first way is we're bearing fruit in every good work. The second is we're growing in the knowledge of God. We're becoming closer to God. The third way is we're being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that we might have endurance and patience. And last, we're joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints for the kingdom of light. Why should we be thankful? Verse 13, for he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Have you ever been not lost? Have you ever needed to be rescued? I, I was in a plane crash years ago. I was in a small plane. We were 
a friend of mine and I, he was a pilot and worked for me, and we were going to go down to Mexico and scuba dive. You know, when you're young, you do stupid things, you know. I mean, to fly a small plane to Mexico to begin with is a stupid thing. But anyway, um, so every uh, Friday at lunch, we would go out and test. He belonged to a flying club. We'd test one of their planes to figure out which plane we wanted to take. And uh, we were uh, flying to Livermore, and between Castro Valley and Livermore, we lost power. And um, I remember him saying to me, um, I don't think we're going to make it. And I remember saying to him, don't tell me I'm not flying this plane. I mean, there's not a thing I can do with that statement. So we went down into a gully. The plane came apart. He was hurt very, very badly. Um, broke nearly everything from here to his chest. Broke an arm, broke a leg. And we're down in a gully. No one knows we're there. We didn't file a flight plan. We have no clue where we're at. We think we know, but later on the map, we discovered that we were 180 off. We had no clue where we were. And so we're down there, he's bleeding, I'm, we're tearing things off and putting them around to stop his bleeding. And all of a sudden we hear a voice, is anyone down there? Now I, I know, he knew we were down there. He wanted to really say, is anyone alive down there? So we climbed uh, this hill for 45 minutes and finally got to him and he, we walked for 45 minutes and then he had a horse. And my friend, uh, he said, he took a look at my friend and he said, you better get on this horse. And Jack said, honest, if I fall off that horse, I'll kill myself. I thought he just fell from 5,000 feet. What is he worried about the horse? <laughs> and so we were driven into the hospital. Have you ever been rescued? Sometimes we don't realize that we've been in a dark place and God rescued us. We weren't looking for him, he was looking for us. And we were rescued. And he says that, that that is the source of our being thankful. A hundred years from now, you'll see that, and he wants us to see it now. He wants us to see it now. So when you look at the, uh, the psalmist speaking, he's talking to a people that he wants to bring to an awareness that as thankful people, we act a certain way. Notice what he says. We're to shout, we're to worship, with gladness, we're to come before him with joyful songs, we're to know. We're to enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, we're to give thanks to him and praise his name. It's interesting how the psalmist has divided the, the psalm up. Um, he's divided the psalm up into two stanzas and each stanza talks about a behavior. Uh, verses one, two, and the beginning of three talk about our personal behavior and it should all emulate out of a reality about what God has done for us. And then uh, verse 4, um, I think he's talking about corporate behavior. And verse 5 talks about who God is. Not what he's done for us, but who he is, his attributes. What he's done and who he is predicates, formulates the basis of our thankfulness. We're, we're, to, we're to shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Now, some of you are, are wired the way I am. I, I'm a subdued guy. I mean, I, I'm not a screamer. I'm not a shouter. Um, it takes a lot for me to shout. You, you know what I'm saying? And I'm learning. 
Years ago in my living room, uh, Lou and I were living in Salem, Phil Howard showed up, and um, he said, uh, we, were, we, we spent some time just rejoicing and, and sharing. We'd always been friends together, and, and uh, so we decided we would pray. And so next thing I know, Philip's on his face, wailing. Right? Wailing. Our eyes are this big. <laughs> I'm thinking, what on earth is going on? So he gets done, and he gets up, and he says, now, he says, I get really loud when I pray. Does that make you nervous? I said, well, yeah. <laughs> but I said, you know what? Maybe I need to be made nervous. Okay? Because I grew up in a very sterile, subdued climate. The author is telling us, you know what? When you are thankful, there is no reason other than to shout because we believe that God has done a great thing in our life. Huh? And those of us who are subdued get used to it and change. I can't do that woo real high because my voice won't go that high. But my kids got it down. Uh, to shout for joy to the Lord. We, you know, um, I grew up in the traditional church where if you shouted, um, they'd throw you out. If you raised your hand, it was only in a business meeting. Um, and we need, as a people of God, to be a lot more excited about the thankfulness that we have in God. Does that, does that make sense? So if you come into Valley and, and our noise and, and elation bothers you, maybe you need to be bothered because some of us are just wired to be that way all the time. You follow what I'm saying? Um, shout. Um, he says to worship. Now this is really the word in the Hebrew to serve. And in fact, if you look at other translations, they'll translate it serve. It's to serve the Lord with gladness. Why did they translate it worship here in the NIV? I think because they viewed service as worship. They, they, believe, they believe that when you serve the Lord, you're worshiping God. And we forget that sometimes. Sometimes we get so lost in the activities of teaching a class or greeting people at the door or uh, being an usher or doing all of those things that we forget that that is an act of worship. That's, that's ascribing worth to God. And we ought to do that with gladness. He's called us to do that with gladness. We should be excited about that process. And, and then we're to come to, before him with joyful songs. It should not be a funeral dirge in the church. Actually, it shouldn't be a funeral dirge in the funeral either because we have much to celebrate when God's children go home to be with the Lord. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. Know that Yahweh is Elohim. Elohim is the creator. Yahweh is the God of reference. Great reverence to this God. The word know here is an interesting word. He, he's saying this, that if we're thankful, we're going to get to know God better. And the word that's used here is a very intimate knowledge. And Adam knew Eve, and they had a child. Same word. We're to know God intimately. In this culture, what we've done is confuse um, sexuality with intimacy. It's a huge mistake. All of us need to experience intimacy in relationships within the boundaries of God's word. 
We, we all need people in our life who we can share our most profound thoughts with, and God can use them in a way to kind of sell our life. We're talking in, in our class Wednesday night about growing up, and we discovered that one of the things that God does is he uses people in our life, and he uses people who have this capacity to come alongside of us and share an intimacy in such a way that we're, we're, we're able to give them our doubts, we're able to give them our fears, and they're able to encourage us. He, he says that thankful people dive into a relationship of depth with the Lord. Peter said it this way, grace and peace be yours in abundance through your knowledge, here's our word, through your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. You will never experience grace and peace in your life until you know God in an intimate way. Why? Because the more you know him, the more you trust him. The more you know him, the more you trust him. I was driving back as a young boy from Oregon. We had lost everything. My mom and dad had given, had sold all of their, they sold their possessions and sold their house and moved to Oregon to bail out my mom's parents in a business. They, they did that, the business was very successful and in the middle of that my grandmother felt threatened so she asked my parents to leave. Now my mom and dad owned the business, they owned the property, they owned all of that. My, my dad packed up our stuff, he borrowed money to drive back. And, and I said, you know, how is this fair, Dad? I remember as just a little kid, nine years old. And uh, I, I said, it, they're not treating us right. He said, you know what? They're the only grandparents you have. They're the only parents your mom had. We did the right thing. They needed help. We gave them the help. God will take care of us. Don't worry about it. You see, that gave me a knowledge about my dad that down the years I could always trust him because he had an integrity that I'd already seen demonstrated. We need to know God in that way for God is with us all the time. He can be trusted. And that's why the psalmist then reminds us that it's he who made us. There's no self-made people here. God made us. We are his. We've talked about this before, but, you know, God's a jealous God. We cannot be jealous because it's a work of the flesh. God can be a jealous God because he owns us. He owns everything. He has the pride of possession. And if that's not enough, if he doesn't own us through creation, he owns us through Calvary, for he bought us with a price. Our bodies are his. And so the psalmist says, you need to remind, be reminded that God made us, we are his, we are his people. His people. Not some distant people, but his people. The, the sheep of his pasture. Th think about that. Peter said, before Christ, we were not a people, but through Christ, we became a new people. And the new people we became was God's people. We became God's people. We became his children, co-heirs with Christ. He sees us right now in his mind's eye as seated on the throne with his son. Isn't that a great thought? See, if we could see that perception of God and understand that we're the sheep of his pasture, I'm reminded of what David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I ask the question, who is in charge of your life? Who is your shepherd? Are you your shepherd, or is the Lord your shepherd? If the Lord's your shepherd, you'll be okay. If you're in charge of your life, look out. So God wants us to be a thankful people because of who he is and what he's done.
Notice the, the second stanza. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Here I think he's talking about corporate worship. The gates would be the gates of the city and the courts would be the, the courts of the temple. Um, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Why? For the Lord is good. His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. The Lord is good. We've looked at this before, but the Lord knows what's good for you. You may think you know what's good for you, but God knows what's good for you. And the, the first sign that uh, as you become a thankful person of that reality as you begin to let go of all of these plans that you have and you bathe them in prayer and make them God's plans. Why? Because God is the only one who knows what's good for you. You haven't figured it out. He's already figured it out. In eternity past, he figured it out. And so um, he's a good God. God can't act apart from him being a good God because it's part of his attributes. So when bad things happen to you, you can't think, well, today God's kind of tripping me up just to see how it's going to work out. God doesn't do that because God's a good God. God's a faithful God. You know, sometimes we'll blame God for what the devil's doing in our life. God is, uh, wants us to always have good. James says it this way, every perfect gift comes down from above. Don't accuse God of trying to trip you up. That's the enemy's job. But God's a good God. He's always faithful. His love, his said love, this great love that caused him to reach down and to save mankind, his great love endures uh, forever. Had a phone call last night from a friend of mine who pastors a church in Vienna, and he told me about uh, Peter Ogbiven from Nigeria, who attends his church in Vienna. Peter is a uh, baker. Last year, his uh, 18-month-old daughter died of crib death, and then uh, a few months later, his five-year-old daughter was diagnosed with leukemia. Several weeks, weeks ago, Peter called uh, John, his pastor in Vienna, and asked if they could have a Thanksgiving service. He said he, he and his wife had spent some time in the Word and began praying, and, and they wanted to just thank God publicly for his presence in their life. Think about it. Two weeks ago, they had that service in Vienna. It was three and a half hours as people just came forth from all over the world and praised God and thanked him for his presence in their life. Our thankfulness is really up to us. It's not dependent on our circumstances. It's a direct product of our relationship with Christ and with the Father. It's the product of the Holy Spirit within us as we read the filling of the Spirit produces thankfulness in our life. I love what Chuck Swindoll said. He says, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It's more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. A, the remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can change is to, is to play on the one string that God has given us, and that's our attitude. I'm convinced that life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. 
It's the same with you. We're in charge of our attitudes. Paul concludes this little section with this statement in Colossians, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace, be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege we have in being your children. We thank you for this psalm that reminds us as a thankful people we need to demonstrate it publicly and let people know that our uh, faith and our thankfulness is based upon you, not our circumstances. We know that even in sadness, Father, we can be thankful, and I pray that you would do that today in all of our hearts, that we might be able to make this choice of being a thankful people. And we'll thank you, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.